It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a film review Monday as you look back at BYU's loss to Arkansas. And folks, it's about as bad as I expected it to be. And we're talking about all of that ahead on today's show. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show, whether you listen to the regular podcast form or if you happen to be watching us on YouTube. Thank you all the same. Our goal here, simply stated, is to make you the smartest BYU fans in the room by giving you all the news and notes you guys need to know about as a Cougar fan out there. And we're very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where, of course, the motto is your team ever. Every day. All right. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about BYU's loss to Arkansas. I know there's a ton of frustration out there, and who knows ultimately what's going to be be the outcome of uh, that horrendous defensive performance. We're going to get to my notes here in just a moment, but I, I wanted to start uh, by talking about the fact that uh, a lot of you out there, trust me, our YouTube comments, social media comments, uh, there's one very common theme, and it's something that came out in our postcast as well, is that there's the whole fire Tuiaki, fire lamb, fire somebody, do something. I Okay, I get all of that frustration, and I do agree that something needs to change because, frankly, the, the defensive performance has not been good enough. So uh, I understand the frustration there, but let me also caution you that uh, I don't necessarily expect wholesale changes for this staff, at least at this juncture. I could be completely wrong. We could uh, be talking tomorrow, and Kalani Sitake uh, could come out today during his media availability and say, I've decided to relieve uh, so-and-so from their, from their duties, and I've decided to make a change. That could happen. I'm not betting on that. So, all right, uh, so let's first off start off with how about the good? Uh, let's start off with that. We'll start off the good uh, because my good, uh, bad, and the ugly that I typically have done with these uh, film review Mondays, uh, the bad and the ugly is chock full of notes. Uh, so the good, start off. Uh, Keenan Peely, uh, his strip and recovery of that fumble early on in the first quarter was actually a phenomenal play, considering he was being held almost the entirety of while he was making that play. He stripped that ball seemingly with one hand, falls on the ground, then uh, scoops it up and gets it under his belly there to get the fumble recovery. A huge play. The bad part about that, BYU did not capitalize on that turnover. Arkansas in this game won the turnover margin two to uh, excuse me three to one, which is a plus two in the turnover margin, and they scored 14 points off of those turnovers. BYU, on their one turnover, zero points. That was a huge, huge key in losing this game. Coaches will tell you all of the time, losing the turnover margin, more often than not, will indicate who the winning team and losing team of any game is going to be, and BYU lost it, and they lost it in pretty epic fashion, if I'm being honest. All right, other good things. Jaron Hall, very 
Very good, folks. We're watching a guy who is on his way to the NFL. I know that some of you out there are saying that he should come back for another year. Folks, this is a 24-year-old man who is going to be looking to cash in on his opportunity to provide for his family long-term after this upcoming season. I would enjoy it while it lasts because it sure looks like he's on his way to the NFL. His arm, despite having a bad shoulder, and I can tell you folks, he has got an injured shoulder. You saw it get injured once again in that game on that hit he took right on it. He battled through it, and frankly, I'm stunned that his arm looked as good as it did because it was a phenomenal performance from him and it could have been even better had BYU uh, had some more opportunities and not lost uh, those turnovers especially. Uh, next thing, Pukunakua remains just an absolute sensation, folks. It's crazy to think about. It took seven games. Obviously, he didn't play for uh, was it three of those games this season for him to finally get his first receiving touchdown. Yes, he got his first receiving touchdown on that, uh, that kind of that slant and go uh, pattern, play action, RPO, whatever you want to term it. That was his first receiving touchdown of the season. He, he's been absolutely marvelous. He was BYU's uh, pseudo uh, Debo Samuel out there lining up in the backfield, taking handoffs from Jaron Hall. Uh, it was actually really good to see him being used in a myriad of ways. And it, it continues to have that multifaceted role for BYU's offense. And what I love about Puka is he's a guy that I think opposing teams look at, okay, this guy's a receiver. He's a prima donna. He's going to be soft. And what does Puka do? He goes out. He seeks contact. That's what I love about Puka. I know that he has some injury concerns. I get all that, but this is a dude who does not mind the physical part of the game, and that's one thing I really, really like. His running mate out there, wide receiver right now, Cody Epps, is just absolutely phenomenal. I think it was his, was his fifth or sixth, uh, excuse me, sixth straight, sixth straight game scoring a touchdown in this one. He is burst onto the scene. Chase Roberts was the star of the Baylor game, but hasn't Cody Epps in most of your minds and my mind really surpassed him right now? Cody Epps is just a phenomenal route runner. Is an incredible uh, player with the ball in his hands after he makes the catch. He is absolutely sensational right now. And then the last thing, I know BYU's run game wasn't all that great in this game, and they could have done better. There's absolutely no doubt they could have done better in the run game, but when you have guys like uh, Mason Fakahua who I thought live actually didn't have that big of an impact and wasn't all that great. But after re-watching the film, I was very impressed with Mason Fakahua. He got some tough yards. He picked up some first downs when it didn't seem necessarily like he was going to get those those yards he needed to gain. And that's what I like about a guy like that because he's been buried on the depth chart. And that's going to take us into the bad here. Uh, four of the f- top five running backs on BYU's roster were injured and or unavailable. Three of the four, uh, the f- main uh, three backups to Christopher Brooks, so I'm talking about Miles Davis, Lopini Katoa, and Jackson McChesney were all out of this game due to injury. Now, we also didn't see Hinkley Ropati in this game, and the fact that he didn't play leads me to think there might have been an injury concern for him, or simply put, he had that fumble on his very first carry as a Cougar in the Notre Dame game, and he completely lost the trust of the coaching staff. Either one, regardless, that means you're six, you're, you've gone to your sixth string running back to be the backup behind Christopher Brooks, and that's Mason Fakahua. That is absolutely insane to think about, but I had conversations. I've said this on the podcast in the past. The reason why BYU brought Christopher Brooks in in the transfer portal is that every other running back on BYU's roster has had injury concerns in the past, and they couldn't rely on them. That's, that was the terminology I was given. We can't rely on these guys to stay healthy for an entire season. Has that not been proven? Proven out once again. Jackson McChesney, shoulder injury, out for the season. Miles Davis dealing with a shin issue that has kept him out the past two games. Who knows uh, how soon he'll be cleared. Uh, Lopini Katoa 
picked up a ding in that Notre Dame game and is out. The running back position, and this is something I don't say lightly, is made of glass. And that, that's unfortunate because you, you need these running backs. Christopher Brooks, he was a workhorse, a very healthy running back most of the time at Cal, and he's proven that so far at BYU. While guys all around him in his position group are falling by the wayside and being ruled out due to injury, he continues to show up, and I thought he had a pretty good performance. And credit to Mason Fakahua. If these guys, other running backs in front of him, are going to be either ineffective or going to be out due to injury, well, guess what? Moving number 22 to be number two behind number two. Does that make sense? Number 22 to be the number two behind number two. I'm speaking of Fakahua, number 22, to be the number two running back behind number two, Christopher Brooks, for those of you uh, not tracking that at home. So, I thought that Mason Fakahua looked good, but the running back position, the health of it is absolutely concerned right now. The overall health for BYU, there are concerns. I'm expecting there might be some announcements of some season-ending injuries here relatively soon. Uh, the Peyton Wilgar injury did not look good. It looked like a lower leg injury, knee type of deal. I'm sincerely hoping it was not all that serious, but Kalani Satake said they were still evaluating things in postgame. Maybe we'll find out some more uh, during his media session today. Other bad things. BYU not capitalizing, as I mentioned, on that turnover early, and then uh, uh, Micah Hanneman, not Micah Hanneman, uh, Ammon Hanneman dropping a gift of interception that was right in his arms. He should have had that one. Also, later on in that first quarter, uh, Micah Harper unable to come up with what could have also been another interception for BYU against Arkansas. Who knows, if BYU gets either one of those interceptions, how much more gun-shy Arkansas may have become in the passing game, because that brings me to another point here about the passing game, the pass defense for BYU in this game. KJ Jefferson had five incompletions in the first quarter. He was six of 11 in the first quarter, five of those incomplete. Two of them could have been picked off, one of which should have. Uh, the Hanneman thing, you've got to come up with that interception. It was right in your bread basket. He should have brought that down. So, six of 11 after the first quarter, just about, just a shade over 50%. The rest of the game, folks, he went 24 of 29 the rest of the game. That is 82.8%. KJ Jefferson is not that great of a quarterback. And what I mean by that is he's not an elite passer. He could become that one day, but he is not that. But BYU made him look like he's darn near Tom Brady out there. He was sitting in the pocket, all comfy and cozy. He got his blanket and his hot cocoa back there. And he's like, all right, we got one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000, five 1,000. Oh, there's a guy open. I'm going to sling the ball to him there. BYU's inability to get pressure with four and five man sets. This is not just three man pressure that BYU couldn't get to the quarterback with. I saw them bring four, five, and six man pressures. And more often than not, the vast majority of the time, they were unable to get any significant amount of pressure on him. Were there moments they did? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about one of the more abysmal ones in a moment. But the, the fact that he, after the first quarter, he's six of 11, probably should have had one, maybe possibly two interceptions in that first quarter. He settles in. And like I said, said 24 of 29 the rest of the way absolutely insane in the second half alone 10 of 12 he was on fire the rest of the game and BYU did nothing to stop him from doing that uh I said this defensive performance was not good it wasn't uh, Arkansas 12 of 15 on third down and I'm telling you I tracked the third down yardages yes there were some shorter ones the third and fives that you okay that's you can pick those up but 
We're talking third and 11s, third and 10s, third and 8s. You've got to get off the field of your BYU's defense, and they were unable to do it. And that brings me to that just absolutely inglorious moment. Uh, Tyler Batty has an incredible uh, rip swim move to get past the left tackle. He's got K.J. Jefferson dead to rights for that sack. He goes high. K.J. Jefferson is not an easy guy to bring down. He's 240 pounds, folks. This is not your, your, your... your tiny quarterback. He is a big dude. And uh, Tyler Batty unable to hold on. Then John Nelson, who I think is probably the second best defensive end, pure defensive end on BYU's roster, has a chance to get the sack, unable to come up with it. Pepe Tanuvasa also had a chance to grab onto KJ Jefferson. He escapes all of them, slings a pass to the sideline, and then it's off to the races. It goes from what probably should have been, what, a 10-yard loss on that sack, a punt, kick it away uh, to BYU, and it gets a 33-yard gain. Like that, If that didn't sum up this BYU defensive performance in this game, I don't know what did. And it's just... It, it's 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 baffling. It is baffling how bad BYU's defense has been on third down the last two games in particular, but it's really been a season-long issue. And another thing I looked up, uh, this is another thing that I... <laughs> I, I wanted to kind of get an idea for this because BYU's inability to get off the field on third down is limiting the amount of possessions that BYU's offense is able to get. Now, I, I don't have the complete numbers done yet, but my really quick analysis is that BYU and the... Oh, okay, well, let me start here. Let me back up. Just re- rewind a little bit. The average across the NCAA right now for an offense, and just the average uh, possession... Uh, the average amount of possessions in a game across the NCAA right now is 12.5. Now, BYU, the past two years, uh, my quick math, just kind of looking, I I think I had a sample size of about 12 different games I've pulled. I'm going to get more of a sample size. I'm going to try and uh, get the full numbers on this. But on average, BYU's possession, so the average across the NCAA is 12.5. Let's keep that in mind. BYU's average over the past two seasons, and this includes last year, so let's go back to 2021, BYU's average is between nine and ten possessions per game they are missing out on between two and three possessions every single game because the defense is unable to get off the field and give the offense the ball back that they so much need to get those extra points that you need to win football games it's crazy to think BYU won as much as they did last year because by the way the possessions, they haven't changed much. This means that there are defensive issues last year, but BYU's offense was far more efficient in terms of scoring uh, last year than this year. And that, that's a little bit of, of a knock on the BYU offense, but still... The BYU defense, their inability to get off the football field on third down is frankly abysmal. It's appalling, and it needs to be addressed. I don't care about the love and learning. I want to see accountability. I want to see improvement, and I don't think I'm the only one that wants to see that improvement out there. It's crazy to think about BYU could uh, be looking at two to three extra possessions. Think of what Jaron Hall could do with the ball in his hands on two to three more drives a game. Think of the numbers he might be able to put up, but he's had to be, he's playing with a shortened deck, uh, to use the card terminology. It's unfortunate. All right. We got more to go. Uh, Trust me. I got plenty of other things we need to talk about in the bad and the ugly. That was mainly just the bad stuff. We're going to get to the ugly stuff here in just a moment. But first, let's get a word in on our friends over at Simply Safe. And folks, the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. And at Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I've got friends that have used Simply Safe and they absolutely love it. They will protect you with cutting edge security technology 
technology powered by 24-7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. That's why my friends I have talked to who have Simply Safe absolutely love it, folks. It's 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 incredible technology. The best part is is Simply Safe. They got 24-7 professional monitoring. They will call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached. Think about that. They're looking out for your 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 back. That that is what Simply Safe is here for. And the best part is the monitoring experts are using proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real so you can get the highest priority police dispatch and get the authorities out there as soon as possible. So check it out, my friends. Uh, customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. The best part is you can save t- save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. All you gotta do is visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. It's so much fun uh, to talk BYU, even though the Cougars are struggling right now. They're sitting at 4-3. and three. They're licking their wounds. They've got to turn their attention to a cross-country trip this week against Liberty. But before we turn our attention here on Locked On Cougars to that, let's get to some more notes here uh, coming off that loss after my film review of the Arkansas game. Now, other things that were... Uh, so we're we've done the bad, essentially. Uh, the ugly here. BYU... Is, uh, situational awareness is lacking, and it's still lacking in this game. Think about this: Arkansas from the so they get the the two touchdowns, the two turnovers in the last uh, five minutes and change of the set of the first half. Uh, BYU ends up falling behind in those uh, off those two touchdowns that Arkansas scored. That was the 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 muffed uh, snap. The the and we'll talk about that in a moment. Just the abysmal nature of that, but also the interception by Jaron Hall. They score those touchdowns, and BYU gets the ball back with uh, about 41 seconds uh, in that half. And Jaron Hall's absolutely slinging the rock all over the field. You think, okay, you can move down the field here. What does BYU do? They run a first down play, and then they let not 10 but 15 seconds run off the clock before somebody on the sideline realizes, hey, we got a chance to score here. Let's call timeout. Ed Lamb is supposed to be this genius when it comes to clock management, in-game analytics, all of blah, 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 blah. He's supposed to be the man on the job that has that down pat. And it was an absolute coaching failure to not have the guys, A, realize on the field that, hey, we have a chance to go get points. Move down the field, act with a purpose. But instead, they look lackadaisical, out of uh, formation, and then they're like, okay, we're moving. Oh, we got to go. Call timeout. You wasted 15 seconds. You can run three plays in 15 seconds in this era of college football. You wasted so much time. And you could have gone down there and gotten some points just before halftime that may have given you a little bit of extra juice going into the halftime locker room. And then you also get the ball coming out of the second half. Those are critical, critical moments that you mucked up. And that includes the players, the coaches. Uh, Kalani Sitake, he says the buck stops with him. He's got to be on top of that. This stuff is... this. 
this this can't happen. This this is stuff that you have to address, and it goes from the top down. Kalani Satake's got to answer for it. Ed Lamb's got to answer for it. The offensive staff's got to answer for it. Jaron Hall, the offensive line, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, they've all got to answer for this. How in the world does nobody have the situational awareness to realize, you know what, we got a chance. We, we've been moving the ball really well. We can go get some points here. If if the mindset had been okay, we're just gonna we're taking a knee, we're going to halftime. Okay, I can understand that. But BYU was running a play as if they wanted to move down the field, but they still wasted 15 seconds. Where is the just the 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 know how, the wherewithal, the just where that situational awareness? Where is it? I, I, this this team is just it's mind boggling. Some of the 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 just boneheaded nature of how things are going right now for the Cougars. And that brings me to Joe Tukuafu. And I, I don't mean to bag on a kid, but Joe Tukuafu, when you, I, I counted this, I, I timed it. There was four minutes between when they announced they were going to review the play, they went to the media timeout, and then four real-time minutes later, he goes out there on the field with no play call. Let's recall this. Kalani Sitake said there was no play call, and I confirmed that with some people inside the program. There was no play called on that fourth down. They were simply trying to bait Arkansas into jumping off sides and picking up the first down there. They were going to call timeout and probably punt it away in that scenario. You're on your own 34 and a half yard line. You're in a bad field position. Like Going for it is it's actually, the analytics say don't go for it. But what does Joe Tukwafu do? He snaps the football. Jaron Hall wasn't ready for it. And they end up giving the ball right back to Arkansas. Like I, going back to that situational awareness, folks, like this stuff is just, it, it's mind-blowing. It, 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 it's damning in a way for, for these guys because it just puts them in a very, very negative light. And I, I feel for a guy like Joe Tukuafu. And, I, and by the way, let me also say this. I sincerely hope that the move to put Joe Tukuafu as BYU starting center in this game was injury-related because Connor Pay had been the guy for, uh, B, for BYU at center most of the year. The only times he had been out is when Joe Tukuafu would, uh, would spell him for a series or two here and there. And that had been very, very rare. I sincerely hope, and I don't have any confirmation of this, that Joe Tukuafu was put in a, a spot to be thrown in there uh, because of Connor Pay getting injured potentially late in the week. Because the way Joe Tukuafu operated as a center looked like he had been very, very much thrown into that uh thrown into that job late, was not necessarily completely prepared for the moment. And that, that, that's unfortunate for a young man like that. And Joe's not a young man, folks. He's nearly 25 years old. He said it on this podcast. We had him on last fall. And he said, by next year, I'm going to be 25 years old, Jake. It's, it's crazy to think about. He's been around this program for a really long time. And for stuff like that to happen for that type of a guy... It's unfortunate because he's got hopes of going to the pro ranks, but you can guarantee pro scouts are looking at his film saying, okay, I can't have a center who's having a, a brain fart of that magnitude in that circumstance. You cannot snap that football. There's literally no play called. The entire rest of the team's probably looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? There was nothing called there. It's- Oh, it's it's bad. Uh, also, another thing that's just ugly. BYU allowing way too many completions across the middle in that game. It was just abysmal. Safety's getting split. Linebackers getting uh, too much space uh, apart from each other. The the middle of the field is supposed to be that 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 place where wide receivers go across the middle and fear for their ribs. I I know they've legislated a lot of those hits out of the game, the targeting, all that stuff. But the middle of the field is where it's supposed to be the toughest to gain yards. And I I probably should have tracked this a little closer. I don't know how many times KJ Jefferson found wide open guys across the middle of the field, but it was way too many and multiples of those were touchdowns. It 
Not good. All right, final thing here, and this comes, uh, I'm going to share this screen hopefully uh, correctly so you guys can see this because uh, Garrett McClintock, who works for Give Him Help Brigham, does a great job on that podcast and also uh, their website, uh, he put this out there, and I believe all of us need to see this. Now, let me also be very clear about this right off the top. I am not a huge fan of the uh, hockey-style subs that BYU uses on defense. I I think it it causes guys, uh, in some ways, to feel like they have to play like I know. I know the idea is okay. They're going to play hard for the two, three, four plays that are in there, and then we're going to get them out, get them back to close to one hundred percent, and throw them right back out there. I get the mindset of this, but at the same time, uh, and I a couple of folks out there, and there are two of them in particular. I know that listen and watch that listen and or watch this podcast who mentioned this to me, and I agree with the thinking. Their thought was okay, but at the same time, they go in there and they realize they're only going to be out there for two, three, or four plays, and they're actually going berserk and they're actually getting themselves out of alignment uh, running the uh, wrong play getting themselves in a bad situation because they're trying to make a play like they're playing in like overdrive in a way in that circumstance I have been a person who believes that if you have star players on defense those are the guys who need to play the vast majority of the reps and Garrett McClintock did the math that I was unable to do and he nailed it here so what he says you can see this right here I randomly grabbed five games from five different conferences to see what percentage of plays their starters on defense played. It's defense only here. And what percentage of the plays the 10 guys with the most snaps played on defense yesterday. One of these is not like the others. He lists BYU here. 56% of BYU's defensive starters played uh, the reps yesterday. The top 10 were 63%. 28 total players, by far the most of this list. Alabama, yes, the behemoth that is the Alabama Crimson Tide, 85% of their starters play. Yesterday, 90% of their 10, and they only played 18 guys. Baylor, 71, 76, 25. They have the second most players playing, but their starters still play 71% of the time. Their top 10 play 76% of the time. San Jose State, 81, 87. UAB, 82, 86. Utah, 79, 85, 18 players. Now, Garrick does add this, this tweet right down here. This begs the question, one, why are we, speaking of BYU, not rolling with the best 11? And two, is there no best 11 because everybody collectively is that mediocre on defense? He said, I went with the top 10 to leave a little pad for potential injuries there. This is not good. I know that Kalani Sitake is going to... I'm going to ask him about this. I'm going to ask him, Kalani, you, you said that you believe your starters play the majority of the reps. It's bare... Like, the starters for BYU are barely playing north of half the reps on defense. I'm seeing second and third string guys out there in critical downs and distances. And I mean third downs when you need to stop. I'm talking about in the red zone when you need to avoid giving up a touchdown. I'm seeing second and third string guys. Are those guys as good as your number ones? I would venture to guess that the coaching staff would tell you probably not, but they are out there in critical downs and distances because you have bought uh, bought in hook, line, and sinker on this strategy of bringing guys in and out of this lineup. We saw an 11 for 11 shift on Saturday, and the, co- uh, the, the, the broadcast on ESPN, Dave Pash, audibly chuckling. What was that? They just switched 11 for 11. <sighs> If there's a long grinding drive and your guys are completely gassed, they're tapping their helmet saying, "Hey, they 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 need they need to get out of the game and get a blow." Get them out at that point. But don't force the action. Two and three plays, and all of a sudden, you know that you're coming out. Like I get the mindset is that these guys are going to play hard and then that's going to give us an advantage there. But folks, isn't the proof in the pudding? 
The BYU defense is just frankly abysmal, awful, downright ugly right now. And this this hockey style sub pattern is not helping anybody out there. I mean, it's not helping the coaching staff looking good. It's not helping these defensive players look good. It's not helping anybody because it's bringing all kinds of negative energy from the fans. Uh, I'm sure that the coaching staff is evaluating. It's just it, it's. It's a bad, bad deal for all parties involved right now. And that's the tough part if you're a BYU fan as you look at that and you're like, and trust me, I'm looking at it. I get the thought process behind it, but in practice, it's just not working. It needs to be adjusted. That, that, that one thing right there, I would be screaming from the rooftops right now that Kalani Satake needs to step in and say, guys, we've got to play our number ones. If they are truly our best guys, they need to play three quarters, if not more, of the snaps. If it's good enough for Alabama, it's good enough for us. Or, if to Garrett's second point, if it's not good enough for BYU, is BYU's top 30 players, they played 28 players, so darn near 30 players, if they have played 28 players, are all those guys so mediocre and, frankly, not that good that you've got that big of a problem on your defense? I'd like to think not, but right now the evidence suggests that that very well may be the case, and that, that's that's a tough pill to swallow if you're a BYU fan. So, there you go. Uh, that is film review for that Arkansas game. It wasn't pretty. I rewatching that game. It was like, I was kind of like, Oh, I don't want to watch this. Like covering my eyes, but kind of peeking through the slits. Cause I have to, it was just, it wasn't pretty to watch that. And BYU's defense. I know they're under it right now uh, because nobody's happy about this. I know they're not happy about their performance, but right now it's, it, it's ugly out there. It is U G L Y for BYU's defense and the offense. They had some of their own issues, but they weren't the weak spot in that game against Arkansas. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll round out today's show with the notes on the other BYU teams in action from this past weekend. But first, a word on our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your football betting information this season. Uh, just coming out yesterday, that BYU opened up as a five-point favorite this week when they head to Liberty. 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff out there on the East Coast in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's 3.30 for those of you out there going to the game at uh, on the campus of Liberty. But BYU, a five-point favorite to open in that game. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis in every game that you can find out there, both in the NFL and college football with our friends at BetOnline. And they also remain your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including the Major League Baseball playoffs, MMA, boxing, golf, and NBA hoops. The season starts tomorrow, my friends. So check it out now. That's BetOnline.net. You also can use your mobile device to learn more now. That's BetOnline.net online where the game starts. The NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
All right, before we go here on today's show, let's recap everything else that happened in BYU sports over the weekend. Uh, first things first, the women's uh, volleyball program had a up and down weekend. They opened the weekend on the road at St. Mary's with the three uh, nothing sweep of the Gales, but then they went to Stockton, California, played in the Alex G. Spanos Center, and BYU really, really good all year long. Suffered a crazy defeat, losing in five sets to the Pacific Tigers on their home turf. Now you're probably wondering, okay, how good is Pacific, Jake? Well. Let's put it this way. BYU was 7-0 in conference play leading up to that. They were tied with San Diego, who is now 8-0 and one game in front of BYU in the conference standings. The Cougars 14-4, San Diego 17-1. Well, Pacific, for those of you wondering at home, sits at 3-5 and and in 6th place, oh, excuse me, uh, is that fifth place? Yeah, fifth, no, sixth place in the WCC. Apologies, uh, sixth place in the WCC with a three and five conference record. They're eleven and nine overall. So they're a they're a five hundred ish team, and that's a rough loss for the women's volleyball program. They'll be looking to bounce back this Friday when they host a number. Oh, excuse me, they head to number four San Diego. As I said, the Toreros seventeen and one on the season, and these have been the top two teams in the WCC for the last few years, if not longer than that. They've been kind of annually jostling for top dog status in the West Coast Conference. BYU coming off that loss against Pacific, they got to be on top of their game because San Diego is absolutely balling right now. And to lose that game, that's a tough deal uh, for the Cougars. Now, if you want some inspiration for the women's volleyball team, you have to look no further than Southfield. BYU is off uh, midweek for women's soccer. They are now 6-2-5 on the season after the number 14-ranked Portland Pilots came to Southfield. And BYU goes out there and absolutely obliterates the Pilots 4-1. BYU is now 2-0-2 in conference play. A huge win. I mean, huge win for BYU on their home turf in women's soccer. So this was a team, speaking of Portland, that had not lost a match this season. It was a huge, huge win for Jennifer Rockwood and her squad. And that that's what uh, the women's uh, volleyball team can look to for some inspiration when it comes uh, to getting ready for this upcoming week. The women's soccer team, they are going to be headed out on the road to Malibu, California, Wednesday afternoon to take on the Waves. They'll uh, also return home, so yeah, return home this Saturday to host Gonzaga as Southfield. So a big week ahead. And coming off that win over Portland, you'd think they have some momentum uh, going their way. In their last uh, three matches for BYU against USF, Stockton, and Portland, they have now tallied 11 goals and just been scored on twice in those matches. It's a great run for BYU's offense right now in women's soccer. Hopefully they can carry that forward. Uh, one other note real quick, the BYU men's and women's swimming and dive teams beat TCU in their dual meet. Uh, the men, women's team won 172 to 159, while the men's team obliterated the Horned Frogs 180 to 140 in their dual meet over the weekend. And one other quick note is the men's and women's golf programs are in action uh, today, uh, beginning at play at the Maryland Smith Sunflower Invitational for the women's team out there in Lawrence, Kansas, while the men's team is playing at the TPC Colorado in Denver, Colorado, uh, that is being hosted by uh, Denver University across the front range of the Rockies. So there you go. You are up to speed on everything going on in BYU sports outside of BYU football. Looking forward to recapping what Kalani Sitake had to say on his press conference today uh, this week. Also going to have Clark Barrington on the show, our weekly conversation with him. Try to get some of his insight on what's going on with BYU right now. And we'll try and uh, find out where exactly BYU needs to go now as they try to right the ship as they head to 
Lynchburg at to face off against the Liberty Flames this Saturday. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. Make sure you make our friends over the Locked On Big 12 podcast your second listen of the day. Josh Neighbors will get you caught up on everything going on around the entirety of the Big 12 conference every single day. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one, or also available on YouTube. That'll do it for us. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 